Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. I'm Emma and he's Mike, and I hope you are dressed for the occasion because tonight <laughs> we are talking about the TV movie. Yeah, at long last, we've decided to put you out of your misery and rather than us refer to it every single episode, we're actually just going to dedicate a whole episode to this nightmare of a show. Spoiler alert <laughs> of how I feel about it. So um, how I think we're going to do this is we'll start off with... Uh, talking about the background and the run-up to this uh, televisual event. Then we'll have a, a bit of a plot synopsis and then talk about our feelings about it and we'll go into depth there. So mm. um, let's begin. So I think the best thing to do is, so Mike, in the run-up to this, do you happen to remember sort of being aware of it coming up or anything like that? Um well, I mean, it's all a bit hazy because, I mean, this was 1996. So yeah, so we were 13. Good. Yeah. Um, I remember, obviously, it was a big hullabaloo that was coming back. Um, I think I remember seeing the trailer on BBC One. Um, but apart from that, it's sort of... It's like I, I knew it existed, and uh, obviously I watched it on the day. Um, hmm. But beyond that, it was all a bit like crazy. I mean, I didn't really know much about the production of it and mm. things like that. So Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I mean, you know, I hadn't really been a... A, a, much of a fan for very long and it's just when you know like you sort of hearing about it being advertised on the BBC and then like being really pumped up for it mm. to watch it because obviously as far as we were concerned the show had been off air for seven years at that point and um, it was really our first experience of Doctor Who on the TV mm. um, so I remember being very excited about it but uh, sort of not really hearing about it I mean at that point I was starting to uh use my pocket money to start buying magazines and stuff like that, the sort of sci-fi magazines and stuff. Hmm. But I was much more of a Trekkie than I was a Doctor Who fan at that time. So all of my money was probably going on Star Trek Monthly than it was on uh, <laughs> DWM, I must confess. Yeah. Um, I, I was much in the same boat as you because uh, obviously Next Generation, I think, was still on uh, mm. BBC Two at the time. And I can't remember whether Deep Space Nine had started just then it or... It was Hove. I know it started in ninety. I want to say ninety two or three. Deep Space Nine, hadn't it? But the lag time between the show and it coming on the BBC was immense. Mm. So I mean, you could easily. I think wasn't the wait between. I'm sure the wait between like Best of Both Worlds Part One and Two was like eighteen months for us. Or something ridiculous. Oh, something. Like, I think Richard yeah. Smith would know better than us. Yes, Richard Smith would know better than us. And um, <laughs> but no, I just remember there was this immense lag time between when things were aired in the States and when things were aired here, I mean, it's how things are now. I mean, as we're recording now, the the episode of The Walking Dead that transmitted last night in the US is going to go on our TV tonight. Mm -hmm. So no more waiting <laughs> over a year to watch your shows. Um, but anyway, so the TV movie, to say that it has a tumultuous history <laughs> is really understating it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so when we left doctor who last uh, i mean when we talked about this a bit in our last episode mm -hmm. in 1989 the episode survival went out with sylvester mccoy and sophie aldrin as a companion ace and then it just stopped yeah it was never officially cancelled it just wasn't being made anymore mm -hmm. um so obviously as time went on and 1990 91 92 sort of rolled around it was becoming obvious that Doctor Who wasn't coming back anytime soon. So many miscellaneous projects, uh, ideas for reviving it on TV and movies were mooted. And um, 
these things came and went and came and went and there were so many different iterations of so many different rumors going on um it really became an absolute mess i mean mm. you know it's the newspapers are always full of, you know, this guy's been cast and this is going to be the plot and this guy is taking it to the United States. But finally, it was after a lot of running around and a lot of being shipped around studios, it finally got picked up by Amblin, mm -hmm. which, if you know your movies, is Steven Spielberg's company. Yes. So, obviously, people were... Uh, expecting big things and it was envisioned as it was going to be a movie but it was going to be what they talked about a lot in the early 90s in that it was more constructed as a backdoor pilot mm -hmm. that the idea was that you would have this movie introduce this to american audiences because that's the really key thing about this um this episode is that it's really keyed at getting this a, a foot in the u.s market yeah. which is a, a big is becomes a big factor as we go on um so after a lot of horse trading and a lot of these guys uh shipping ideas around and lots of scripts and lots of very weird rumors um i'm going to be using just for reference um the about time volume six by tatwood and um yeah, it's an excellent resource for this. But um, yeah, uh, he alleges that at one point the British tabloids claimed that there was going to be a wrapping TARDIS console um, in it. What? Yeah. A TARDIS console, what wraps? Mike, you all right? <laughs> Mike's consciousness Fuck has never Fuck me! <laughs> now, I, I've never heard what this. What the fuck look we didn't get it it was just <laughs> i'm sure it was just made up oh that is bullshit it's terrible isn't it <laughs> he also alleges that david hasselhoff was going to be in it at one point as well but stop uh, stop yeah stop, well stop, if stop. you think mike's upset now uh this is where the infamous document the leaky bible comes into it so if you don't know the leaky bible was put together uh, by a gentleman named John Leakey, who was a staff writer at Universal, um, whose brother was a fan, apparently. So basically, he wrote a, a, a series Bible based on what he thought Doctor Who was. So <clears throat> I will read you the, uh, the couple of paragraphs um, as nutshelled by Tatwood in this book. <clears throat> The Leaky Bible has a special place in fan law as the most comprehensive misunderstanding of the series ever. <laughs> as well as providing the hilarious suggested catchphrase... Can't get through this. Power up the crystals, Cardinal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was going to be the catchphrase of the show. So, right, this is the premise. The Doctor and the Master are, of course, half-brothers. Uh -huh. The Master is trying to become President of Gallifrey, but the uh -huh. Doctor, a keen explorer, is too busy investigating caves on his home planet, infested with spider Daleks, as you'd expect. Um, side note, if you Google this, you'll see some of the concept art. And fuck me, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> so spider Daleks are bothered until he finds ancient scrolls prophesying a saviour. Mm -mm. Cardinal Barusa is the ailing president and conveniently the Doctor's grandfather, who dies telling him to find Ulysses, the Doctor's missing father. 
Barusa's spirit enters the power source of Ulysses' old TARDIS, which the Doctor now takes over, with Barusa appearing as a hologram when the plot needs explaining. The TARDIS lands in London in the Blitz, where the Doctor meets an American girl who thinks he's a Nazi, and that's the first ad break. From then on, various different versions exist, but they all seem to end seem to find ways for the Doctor and Lizzie to wind up in Egypt. Pharaoh Cheops was Ulysses, apparently. They're, there they are attacked by either robot dogs or Cybes from Telos, if they can get the rights cleared, or a completely new alien if not. Then there's a trip to the Renaissance, and the Master pops up and takes them to Scaro for some reason. Another version has Ulysses regenerate and become a pirate, whilst the, t- whilst the Doctor sees Cheops' wife and realises that she is his mother. Oh, and there's two swords of Rassilon conveniently placed for a duel to the death between the half-brothers. But the Doctor is forbidden to kill the Master because if one Time Lord kills another, it removes his powers because now they're fucking Highlanders or something. <laughs> and Ulysses can become Lizzie's father from Kansas when necessary. And the Carleds are spared when Davros and his creations get space flight and leave Scaro. And the Doctor's eyes being inherited from his mum is somehow important. Um, the follow-up series would <laughs> this is the worst bit the follow-up series would revolve largely around the Doctor's quest to find his father who as it turns out spends most of his timings personating figures from human history the episodes would largely be remakes of BBC serials often rec- relocated to new American settings including a new version of the Gunfighters to be called and prepare yourself for this Don't Shoot I'm the Doctor and scene <sighs> So that, ladies and gentlemen, was the premise on which this episode was based. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking terrible. So awful. It sounds. It sounds like it's written by a twelve-year-old. Oh, it's it's like you asked, you know, a lunatic and a monkey <laughs> to premise something they saw through a kaleidoscope. <laughs> fucking fuck me. It's so terrible. And- <laughs> Part of it is this was this was approved by the BBC. The BBC, yeah, great, went, yeah, great, go for it. <sighs> yeah, but in fairness to the BBC, they didn't fucking care at the time. No, I mean, I think the BBC's apathy mm-hmm. in virtually everything apart from the Doctor must be British. Huh. It, the fact that this got anywhere mm. apart from in a bin <laughs> is just incredible. Yeah, so this is the premise from which the. Um, the the episode is based as i say but um from this as many projects in development hell um many scripts came and went but um the nearest the 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 nearest thing that came to this was the it was going to still maintain the origins Mm -hmm. it's set in the present day but it was going to have three elements and it was be a, a character finding out about the doctors we do mm-hmm. the master would be the only villain and mm-hmm. there was always a good reason for the doctor to come here um and that was really the idea mm-hmm. um so this is where the idea of being set in an american city really came from yeah um originally it was going to be new orleans mm-hmm. and it's going to have the doctor uh, sorry the master being worshipped as a god by raising the dead using a stolen tardis so that fits in with like the New Orleans and the voodoo. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be set in Halloween in 1999. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it was going to be the newly reborn Doctor Hazy after regeneration is befriended by a street kid named Jack who goes over to the master side after seeing his own father brought back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was then tweaked to be New Year's Eve and involving a millennium star. Um, the Doctor's Mary would have been prodded by seeing a play. Um, and yep. Um, so basically it was, it was from, that was the setup mm-hmm. um, that initially sort of the, the the final script that ended up becoming this that was the initial idea there was gonna be new orleans it was gonna be like a horror voodoo kind of new to regenerated doctor with a new companion so we learn through the companion's eyes any of this seeming familiar to you mm, just a bit just a bit yeah we're gonna come on to that i think as, as we go through so mm-hmm. this is this is the background against which this this uh script such as it is and this story is set so as i say like many a project in development hell the script got rewritten, retooled, bits got left in that shouldn't have been, bits got left out, moved around, and then we finally ended up with this. So, Mike, why don't you uh, give us a, a nutshell of the plot? Okay, so, um, from the back of the DVD cover, <clears throat> the Doctor is returning home to Gallifrey with the remains of his arch-nemesis, the Master. Forced off course, the TARDIS arrives in San Francisco on New Year's Eve 1999, where the Doctor is critically wounded in a gangland gun battle. At the local hospital, Dr. Grace Holloway fights and fails to save his life. Well fucking done there. Later in the morgue, the Doctor wakes up a new man, but he is not the only one. The Master has also found himself a new body. As the clock counts down to the start of the new millennium, can the Doctor stop his oldest enemy destroying all life on Earth? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) wow. Um, See, it's hard for me to even now rewatch this episode without feeling the utter crushing disappointment that Mm. I felt in 1996 watching this. Because I remember that opening shot of you get that narration and all this guff about the master being executed by the Daleks who apparently are into executing bloody war criminals like they're (laughs) you know Spandau or something (laughs) executing Nazis I don't get it Mm. um there's some reason they honor his last request that the doctor come and pick up his bits from Scarrow yeah and then take some, take him back to Gallifrey or something I don't know and you know so after this I'm going what Eh? Mm-hmm. What was all this about? And then it lovingly pans across, you know, all this stuff that you remember from the old show. You know, you've got the recorder and the jelly baby, and it's my heart sank. Mm. And it still does every time I watch that opening because it's like it's off on the wrong foot from the get go. Yeah, I think the problem with this one is because it's supposed to be a backdoor pilot, mm. it's. It's it tries to sort of like be both a backdoor pilot to a new series and continue the continuity of the original the classic series and that's the mistake I think. Because it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Really, I, th- I think it might have been said like on one of the commentaries. I think it might have been like the Paul McGann, Sylvester McCoy, uh, Nick Briggs commentary, or maybe it's the info text. I can't remember which, but. Um, Somebody had said it would have worked a lot better had it just started off with the whole bit in San Francisco with Chang Lee, and then you get the TARDIS arriving, and then the Doctor gets shot, and then he regenerates a new man, and then you sort of go back and explain like what's going on, rather than trying to 
start off with because I mean you have to you have to surmise that a lot of people going into this have probably never seen Doctor Who or at the very least know about it. Mm. So when you've got suddenly like things from like Scarrow, the Daleks, the Master, uh, Time Lords having thirteen lives, it's I mean it's just all sorts. Of, it's all kind of like clumsy, really. It's. You know, it, it's so it, exactly. It's it's so clumsy, mm. um, and I mean, reading sort of all the background and stuff. Uh, Philip Siegel called these things kisses to the past, and that stuff is fine, mm-hmm. you know, in theory, but it's it it falls prey to that awful thing, you know, like just like the Avengers movie mm-hmm. with Uma Thurman and Ralph Fiennes. Um, it gets so fixated on sort of the tropes and the eccentricities of this show. Yeah. It overwhelms everything about it. Mm. Well, I would argue that uh, the Avengers movie was a lot worse offender than that. Oh, I, mean, I absolutely agree. But you, uh, I'm just you, saying... Well, in hang on a second, of, though. If you've got a fucking tea dispenser in the dashboard of your Jaguar, I mean... Ah. I'd never get out of it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I know you wouldn't, but, you know true is like can you hang on and stop stop doing evil a minute i'm having a brew um <laughs> yeah it's it i'll say i i watched the avengers film in the cinema and um yeah an absolutely risible pile of shite um but it's it's along the lines of i'm not gonna this isn't gonna turn into american bashing fest mm-hmm. worry not uh u.s cousins but there's this sort of is this sort of thing that with american looks at british shows and it's mm. not just the avengers it's happened to red dwarf um yeah. it's it, it's sort of trying to take a uniquely british sensibility and a way of looking at the world mm-hmm. and translating it to an american audience and it just does not work no. because i think that american audiences like if they're into it they're into the humor and they're into the eccentricity of a british show mm-hmm. and that's what they want yeah, I mean, to be honest, you've never seen like an American version of Monty Python, really, have you? No, you haven't. I mean, and it's it it's the same way where we've tried to make American or have US shows, and then they get a, a translation to a British um, version. It mm. it's it's the same. It never quite works. Yeah. Um, it's just it. You know, it's like. Trying to put no, that's a Canadian show. Scratch that. I was going to say the Trailer Park Boys, but that's a Canadian show, oh. isn't it? But um, yeah, just something that's very, very American. You say like Cheers. If you wanted to have Cheers mm-hmm. or Seinfeld, yeah. things which you know essentially shows about nothing, mm-hmm. and then translate it to a British thing, you know, like have a bloke at a bar, and you know it's just people coming in and out of a pub. Mm-hmm. It would bomb entirely it just it doesn't translate yeah i don't think and it, it goes both ways so there's always this thing in taking a british property and translating for a, put it into an american audience it they seem to always pick the wrong targets mm. yeah it's um it's very strange and it keeps happening you know you would have <laughs> thought that after a while they would have picked up on the fact that something's not quite working here <laughs> No, I mean, I have to be honest, my thoughts on the TV movie have actually improved because I've, I've recently, like, just today, I've watched it again. Mm. And I don't know, I didn't find it that bad. No. I think, I think, maybe I'm just a bit more accepting of it. I sort of know that it's a bit shonky, 
So yeah. I just sort of go with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's things to it that are enjoyable in the mm. in the uh, in it. I'm not going to say it's all bad because it's definitely not. I mean, you know, if you if you go into it, your tongue in your cheek and your campometer turned up to eleven. I mean. <laughs> Eric Roberts is worth your admission price alone just mm. for the cheese factor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing with Eric Roberts is he, he starts off sort of doing a term, his best Terminator impression. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's like Paul McGann said in the commentary as he, you know, shows up in the, the cloister room with the, the Gallifrey and robes on. He says, are the stairs going to light up as he walks down them or...? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so strange. It's kind of some of the choices. It, I think it's it's symptomatic mm. of the fact that this script was knocking around forever and got put through so many changes. Mm. All these little weird things yeah. sort of stayed in the script. You see it in movies that have been in development for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, as another thing is, McGann, mm-hmm. especially when you watch it sort of with, with um, new eyes... Yeah. He's actually a really good doctor. Yeah, yeah. Out, off the bat, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed his performance in this. Mm. I think it's, um, he does. There's a few bits where he gets a little bit uh, yeah. <laughs> over dramatic, and uh, you know, what, what have you. You know, the master wants to take all of my life, my remaining lives, so he will live and I will die. It's like, <laughs> whoa, dude. Dial it back, me old son. Dial it back. Sell down, but yeah. uh, but honestly, the the bits where he really does get to shine, it's. It, oh, it's just beautiful. I, I sort of now I really want him. It's like just just have him show up in like a new series episode. You know, just just mm. have another sort of like multi doctor story, like with him bouncing off Capaldi. We just do it. it the, the guy needs more screen time as the doctor. I know he's gone on to do a whole shit ton of stuff with Big Finish, but he deserves to be on the screen. I think you know, Night of the Doctor. Showed that more than anything. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that he was on screen for, you know, all of four minutes and just blew everyone away. And you just think, oh, wish they, where was that doctor? Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, other, and the other thing is as well, um, these guys apart, the other two main characters, uh, Daphne Ashbrook as Grace Holloway and Yuji So as um, Chang Lee, mm-hmm. they're really anonymous in this, Yeah, I've got to say. Um, it's not. I, don't, I think it's to a point of it's not their fault. Mm. They're kind of working with what they've got, mm-hmm. and as well, you know, Grace Holloway kind of being cast as this sort of weird kind of superwoman scientist who yeah. then <laughs> has to schlep around with the Doctor. You know, you just sort of she and you know, bless them, but they they're kind of not strong enough personalities to to get it over for mm. me. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're, they're they're pretty good actors, though. I have to mm. sort of um, what they, what they do get, they they do run with it. I mean, uh, Eiji So is in particular, I thought was really kind of good. You could sort of like you could sort of kind of see them knocking around with the Doctor, though. It's like mm. um, I think it's just sort of it didn't really like work out in the end, unfortunately. No, I just uh, again, I think it's symptomatic of all the changes the script went through. I, I feel like they their parts were expanded and diminished, expanded and diminished, and mm-hmm. changed and cut about, and you know they're playing like eight different people. I feel like at points. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I was okay with like Grace. Grace has sort of like a, a bit of a Dana Scully thing going on, but even that's yep. sort of slightly inconsistent because you know after she effectively kills the Seventh Doctor, well done there. Um, 
there's a bit where she has a word with her superior um, and she says, you know, who was this guy? You know, how much could we learn from him? So she's already kind of accepting that he's a bit unusual. But when the eighth doctor shows up and, you know, starts rattling off about, you know, being alien, having two hearts and all that, she assumes he's completely mental. And it's just like, well, hang on, what? You know, I mean, you were just saying before, oh, no, this guy's, you know, we could learn a lot from this guy. And then, eh? I mean, okay, yeah, the doctor himself wasn't particularly making the best case for his uh, sanity, but, you know. No, but, you know, it doesn't... (laughs) Doesn't excuse here, you know, no. yanking a probe out of his chest and going, whoops, killed him, never mind. <laughs> you know, and it's one of those things that doesn't make sense in that Grace's murderization of the Doctor, his resurrection, and then her resigning to avoid a scandal happens in a really short amount of time. Mm. Um, it's interesting you, ma- you mention Dana Scully because I think not only the Vancouver setting, you know, where yeah. it being filmed in Vancouver, <laughs> which if you're an X-Files fan or SG-1 fan or any sort of... Uh, sci-fi show that was filmed on the cheap up there um a lot of the locations will be achingly familiar to you <laughs> um yeah it's it it's it's so x-filey in that your your point of identification is a female scientist and a skeptic mm-hmm. who is then introduced to this man who's weird and we learn about him through her eyes mm-hmm. which is Mulder scully yeah And, you know, it's it's kind of it's so kind of the wrong way to tackle it Mm. because this trying to hammer Doctor Who into this X-Files box isn't going to work. No. Absolutely not. It um, it's it's such um, I think that if if I have one main complaint about this, and I have many, obviously, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just such kind of a confused attempt at yeah at Doctor Who. Yeah, um, it's yeah. I mean, this uh, okay. I mean, just you know, I'd go ahead, unleash hell. No, I'll just say. I mean, you know, I've I've just say it, it's. It's such a comprehensive misunderstanding of the mm. show. Um, and it's, like I say, it's just kind of, it's all kind of the wrong stuff. And, mm. you know, no, it doesn't know who it's appealing to. It doesn't know what it wants to do. It's eight different stories happening at once. It's just, it's kind of all wrong. Um, it doesn't feel like the who that we know. And it kind of, it feels like all the worst excesses of the 80s in mm. this show um you know it just kind of taking all the idiosyncratic nice things about doctor who and kind of you just twisting them and getting them all wrong it it just doesn't it doesn't fit yeah um it feels like uh, i mean tatwood saying that you know 10 years ago this looked like someone desecrating the corpse of a much loved childhood friend mm. um and it just kind of it it feels that way, and he draws comparison to um, the film the comic strip did uh, Strike, which is um, if you don't know, it's basically it's a it's a mockumentary kind of drama mm-hmm. about the minor strike that happened in the eighties here, as imagined by Hollywood. Oh dear! So you get. <laughs> yeah. Arthur Scargill as played by Al Pacino as played by somebody else. So it's it's like that. It's yeah. it's it, that is what it feels like to me. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't I can't disagree. 
Um, but I, like I say, I don't know. I think maybe it's just sort of I've gotten a bit more accepting that you know this is how it is. We just have to sort of get on with it, really. Yeah, as to I how mean, I feel about it, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of one of those things that exists, and I remember for years, and you know, up till. Um, I think series three of the return show when mm-hmm. we had um, <coughs> uh, the the diary with uh, Paul McGann's face mm-hmm. in it. That there were a lot of people going, "Oh, please, he's not, he's not, he doesn't count, he's not canonical," um, because this is an American show. This is like an American take on the show, and so it doesn't count because <laughs> that is how much people did not like this. I think that attitudes are thawed somewhat Mm -hmm. because the really interesting thing about this regardless of what you think about it Mm -hmm. is the comparison between this and rose yeah that's really interesting Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's surprising how much like the new series actually takes some of its cues from this tv movie i mean even like even like little bits like at the end when uh, the tardis revives grace and chang lee look at like the the cloud of energy it releases it's it's, it looks like the regeneration energy that we get from in the new series you know Mm. um um you know if philip siegel got this to screen by sort of sheer force of his personality mm. and his you know his love for the show effectively and his his love of idea of the idea of the show more Mm -hmm. and does that remind you of anybody named russell t (laughs) davis at all Uh. you know it's (laughs) It's uh, it's kind of the thing of what everything that the Doctor Who movie gets wrong, mm-hmm. Rose got right. Yeah, and you sort of feel like maybe that when Russell T was sort of putting this around, I feel like maybe he sat everybody down and made them watch the TV movie mm-hmm. and go right. That is what we're not doing. Yeah, you know, it's it it. I feel like that you know this is kind of like the warning from history mm-hmm. <laughs> of before before Rose came back. Um, yeah, you know, while while you sort of feel necessary, you know, you uh, criticise the the effort of what came out of Siegel's uh, attempts to get it onto the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, he got it on the screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's you know, a, given yeah, I mean, and given a different set of circumstances, and you know, maybe that original script about New Orleans, I think maybe this could have worked. Yeah, I think it could. Yeah, actually, that. That um, I'd never actually heard about the the, the New Orleans Halloween uh, script before, but that actually sounds kind of interesting. That mm. might have worked out a bit better, but it's sort of like I don't know. It's just I don't know whether it's just because of, of having been burned by this before. It's like you know, would it have gone down the same route ultimately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, if you know, let's imagine the bizarro world in which this went down, like um, you know, went down great guns in the states. Mm. You know, could you know, might it have been the this lasted twelve episodes over in the states, um, and then failed anyway, even if it had gone well. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, because you know, especially these days, the the television studios over in America are very quick. To put a bullet between, yeah, to put a bullet between the eyes of any sort of show, it's not doing how they projected or expected it to do. So, mm. you know, even even if this had worked, I don't know. I don't know if it would have necessarily 
lasted and then what would that what kind of a ripple effect would that have had with Doctor Who? I mean would this have been like it? Would the BBC have even tried to bring it back or would Russell T. Davis have still I think he might have done, but you know, it's like it's kind of strange to think about, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the sort of the what if scenarios are really, are really, you know, they're interesting to think about if you're sort of, you know, if that's kind of something that you're into as a fan. Um, but, you know, I think that really maybe the fact that we got what we got and it ultimately didn't go anywhere <laughs> hmm. is for kind of obviously with hindsight the best mm-hmm. because. You know, everything, like I say, you know, what, how Rose succeeded was taking what the hardcore fans wanted and what the US fans wanted and ignoring them both mm. and doing, and doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in obviously in, in hindsight and retrospect, mm-hmm. this is kind of like for us the be- the best possible outcome. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it, it really felt like, um, well, you know, that's kind of it for us. Yeah. You know, it, it certainly felt like the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you sort of, you didn't really see how it was going to come back from this. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, because although, I mean, I think uh, according to the the the, um, the stuff I've looked at, um, the it got like 9 million viewers over here, which is pretty decent. Um, but over in the States, it just absolutely bombed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, that is basically, um, the Doctor Who TV movie. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, I sort of put it in the, in the category of kind of fans only, mm. which ironically it was never meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. I know obviously you're, you're not big on it, but what would you say is like some of the positives? Of some of the positives. I really think Paul McGann is very good in it. Yeah. I think the as a hist- as looking at it is like a historical document, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of have to now. Um, I think actually the kind of the way that again the way the new series would go, you can see a lot of it in the TV movie. Mm-hmm. In the kind of you know there was going to be action and kind of a different take on the companion Doctor relationship, mm-hmm. um, and although it gets things like the Daleks and the Master wrong, you know it it sort of the idea of opening those avenues again I think is good I like the design of the TARDIS Mm. um, you know the whole thing that they're globe trotting a bit I mean it's Vancouver masquerading as San Francisco but you know we're now in a series that has been to Utah in -hmm. the main series and actually went to Utah to film it rather than (laughs) a quarry somewhere and saying it's Utah Um, so I think there is positive stuff to be had but it's mostly Paul McGann for me Um, I don't know if I'm sort of looking at sort of rose tinted specs, obviously watching it and sort of thinking about Night of the Doctor. Um, it's it's really, you know, interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm going to say for the positives. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, the 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 TARDIS itself. You can't you can't not mention that because that is just glorious. It was, yeah, it's absolutely was, beautiful looking. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd forgotten like how many freaking candles were in it. Like, but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's just it's an amazing set, and I mean, it's not something that ever managed to like fully recapture since. 
I mean, even with like larger budgets and larger like sets, I mean, when you look at something like like the current TARDIS set, I mean, that's pretty damn big. You know, it's all over like three levels and quite expansive. But this, I mean, and I, I sort of love sort of like the the weird little bits when when they go into the cloister room, like it's sort of like torch lit and um, like stone corridors and things like mm-hmm. that. It's it's sort of so really bizarre sort of thing but it's in a way it kind of makes sort of some sort of deranged sense you know yeah it's you know that's it it's it does kind of it's kind of all these weird kind of mutated ideas that they fit together but some of it works and Mm -hmm. some of it works and i will agree with you i mean i think the way that they put the titles together is really kind of lush and you know Mm -hmm. that's where they spent the money yeah yeah um I don't. I didn't mind like the the music. I mean, it's uh, mostly sort of synthesized based, um, written by John Debney, who uh, would later go on to do Iron Man two and most other things. I mean, I actually own the soundtrack, so I managed to find track down a copy of the soundtrack on uh, Amazon and bought it because I thought it was actually quite good. There's just like a few musical bits where you can sort of like I don't know maybe like Murray Gold took a bit of inspiration. Um, you know the bit where the master like causes the TARDIS to crash. Mm. There's this bit in like the strings where it starts to build up to the main melody of like all the chaos unraveling, and it's very sort of, sort of not quite. Well, I can't really say reminiscent of uh, I am the, the strings from I am the Doctor because obviously that mm. hadn't been written yet. But you can sort of like see little bits, and um, I, I quite like that. Um, but again, it's 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 Paul McGann, you know. It, it's yeah. Paul McGann who sort of like really sort of. Drags it up by its teeth sort of thing. Um, But for me, as someone who enjoys continuity, Mm -hmm. um, the funnest thing that's come out of this is people desperately trying to retcon the bloody I'm half human on my mother's (laughs) side. Some of the explanations for this are epic. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Um, Yeah. Uh, So I'll just, I'll give it a quick read off the Wikipedia site because it, nutshells it nicely Um, the issue is referenced a number of times in the BBC books which would be the 8th Doctor Adventures Mm -hmm. which was sort of his continuation after the events of this Um, Alien Bodies subtly suggests that it was just the 8th Doctor who is half human while other books such as Unnatural History and the Gallifrey Chronicles suggest that the Doctor's human mother was a Victorian lady called Penelope Gate and his time lord father was called Ulysses Another explanation is offered in The Taking of Planet 5, where it is suggested the Doctor has become half-human as a result of repeated regenerations around humans, where he absorbs bits of their DNA. The issue is not addressed on screen again, though. In Journey's End, a second version of the Doctor is created whose physiology had, through unique circumstances involved, been created as a combination of the Doctor and his human companion's physiologies. This new Doctor is very unenthusiastic about his newly half-human body, wondering how humans manage only one heart. In the 2008 Doctor Who comic book, The Forgotten, the Doctor states that upon finding out that the Master had escaped from the box, he used the chameleon arch to create the fiction of being half-human in order to deceive the Master. So, this is how... (laughs) People Whoa. were trying to hammer this into continuity somehow. And none of it really works. No, so we just forget it ever happened. Yeah. Is really the easiest way to do it. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, um, just... yeah it's just... it's you, you just have to go, well, the Doctor's being facetious and move on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's one of those unfor- it's again it's the development hell thing of it's being left from a previous script and the mm. bloody leaky bible <laughs> and it's ended up on broadcast yeah it's that's kind of the, probably the most unfortunate bit that and sort of like at the time the kissing yeah at the time the kissing was jolly controversial mm. um, people were outraged and I mean seriously outraged you know, kind of the the proto, the proto kind of web chat rooms and stuff were aflame with the, you know, this is rubbish. But how the doctor kissed the girl? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, but I was going to say, everything else aside, I think the thing that I kind of disquiets me the most is the seventh doctor's death. Mm. Because not to be rude, but he goes out like a bitch. Yeah. Why would you not look out on the TARDIS scanner and see that there's some angry people with guns outside before you just went blundering out there? Yeah. Like a bloody idiot. It's kind of a bit like how I felt when Captain Kirk died in Generations. Hmm. Yeah. Just a bridge fell on him. He can't die like that. <laughs> well, did you know that originally he was supposed to just be shot in the back by Sauron? Yes, I did know that. Yeah. When I found that out, I thought, thank Christ, the bridge fell on him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's such a shame to Sylvester McCoy because for what little screen time he does have, he it, it just it's just like it's like recapturing the old magic. I mean, I've said it before. Mm. And there's this bit when after the master breaks out and causes the TARDIS to start crashing, the Doctor marches back over to like the box he had sealed the remains in, and just this look on his face when he realised it's been cracked open, it's just sort of the biggest sort of like oh shit face mm. you can ever like imagine, and it's just. You know, it's yeah. it's good stuff. It's good stuff, mm. and you know the fact that originally they wanted Sylvester McCoy nowhere near this project. Yeah, they didn't want any suggestion of previous Doctors. You know, it's nice that at least he got some sort of ending. But you just think, oh, couldn't there have been a better way mm. rather than this? Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's such a shame for Sylv, mm. for me anyway. Um, you wish he'd had a, a he'd gone out in a more heroic or a nicer fashion. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's let's conclude. So basically, yeah. the TV movie for me, if I had to nutshell it, failed experiment mm-hmm. across the board. But in retrospect, it stopped a lot of much much worse projects getting onto the screen. Yeah, it's true. Um, and really, from its ashes, we got the new series we got rose and his the doctor's continuing adventures Mm -hmm. and that can that is nothing but a positive for me yeah i have to i have to agree with you on this one it's would you say it's something people should go and watch i would say if you watched night of the doctor Mm -hmm. and you were like i want to know more about this paul mcgann doctor Mm -hmm. i would say go and listen to some big finish yeah first (laughs) You know, just go and pick up some of his stories, kind of his early, kind of more standalone stuff, mm-hmm. and you get a much better of idea of this. Had, had this gone to a series, and like if the BBC were making it, this is sort of how it would have been ish, you know, in, in, in as much as we wanted it to be. And then I'd say, you know, by all means, go and check out the TV movie because it's it's kind of one of those things of in the way that Star Trek fans can feel compelled to watch Spock's brain. You know, or X-Files fans feel compelled to watch the second X-Files film. Mm. I own it, despite it. I hate it. I hate it. And yet I, I bought it with money. Mm. Um, 
it's it's kind of for me it's kind of in the completest arena yeah it's kind of in you know i wouldn't advise anyone to watch the leisure hive but if you're gonna watch doctor who it's kind of one of you know it's your rite of passage Mm -hmm. rather than we hang you by your ankles off a tree somewhere sit through the tv movie yeah yeah that's that's probably probably a fair i mean i would i would say certainly like give it a chance but oh, yeah, absolutely. know what you get into. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Don't go into this blind. No. Because... You, know, you know, sort of go in with no expectations. And mm. I think you, you might be, you might well be pleasantly surprised by it. I mean, there are things like some really nice doctory moments where the, you know, the eighth doctor gets the shoes and he mm-hmm. goes, these shoes, they fit perfectly. And it's, you know, it's, it's so doctory. And you think, yes, that's the thing I want. That's mm-hmm. the spark that I want. You know, rather than you knobbing about on a motorcycle and all this other shite and bloody Eric Roberts peeling bits off his finger and... <laughs> oh, God, I've forgotten about that when I watched yeah, it. Gross. I was like, yeah, wow. Um, you know, it's... Like, like I say, it's it's kind of one of these things of... I think if, if you're like a new series fan and you're intrigued by Paul McGann, mm-hmm. go and read some books, go and listen to some audios and kind of once you've got a handle on... You're kind of the best of Paul McGann... Mm-hmm then you're ready to watch the worst of Paul McGann, which the, <laughs> unfortunately the TV movie is. Mm-hmm. Or at best mediocre. At best mediocre, yes. Yeah. So, folks, what do you think about the TV movie? Let us know. You can email us at uh, greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com or you could uh, contact us through Twitter at greatestshowpod or you could do it uh, through the Facebook page that Emma runs. Tell us about that, Ems. Uh, yep, the Facebook page. Just head over to Facebook, go on to the search bar at the top, put in uh, the greatest show in the galaxy podcast it will pop us up come over and join the conversation give us a like awesome so that's uh, pretty much all we can say about this this time thank you very much emma thank you mike oh quick question though yeah oh um, i oh, for god's sake